And instead of us spending our time and investing our money and trying to get her to change to who we are, we have to spend our time to understand who she is and how we can reimagine ourselves for her and her success. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. Happy New Year and welcome back to In the Know. This episode features an In the Know forum recorded at our most recent annual Congress in San Francisco. It features Russell Lowry Hart from Amarillo College discussing a systematic change at his institution through the use of a model student named Maria. Maria is smart, capable, ambitious, and a different student than Amarillo's system was designed to support. By empowering Maria as a secret shopper, asking her to rewrite the college's values and redesign systems around her, completion rates improved from 19 to 48 percent in over three years. This is part one of a two-part episode. In 2015, we were bleeding enrollment. Our state legislator cut us $4 million, and I had a newly elected board of trustees, uh, majority new board members who looked at our budget, looked at our enrollment, and looked at me as their brand new president of six months and said, "Mm -mm, we're not raising taxes, we're not raising tuition until you can fix the bureaucracy uh, and better serve the students that we have uh, in this community. That was fortuitous, that kind of leadership from our trustees, because the easier thing to do and maybe even the politically expedient thing to do as a new president uh, and trustees whose reelection is often hinged on their popularity within the campus more than on the commu- in the community. It was fortuitous and courageous because they ask us to make really, really difficult decisions, but to make students the center of that decision making. And I can tell you, standing in front of you five years later, um, that we not only survived the crisis, but we have redefined ourselves, our community, uh, and our place uh, in the economic development of our region because of trustees' courageous decision-making to say, fix your broken system before we invest more money in it. Um, And before you uh, think, wow, thank God I'm not in Amarillo, Texas, I think it's important to understand why what's happening in Amarillo uh, is important for you to understand what's happening in your own community. Uh, While I may be in the panhandle of Texas, closer to four other state capitals than I I am my own, a four-hour drive from Albuquerque, Oklahoma City, a five-hour drive from Denver, and a seven-hour drive to our our capital in Texas, what's happening in Amarillo represents really what's happening across the country. We have more refugees per capita than any city in the country. We are an MSI, a minority serving institution that reflects our community. We have an explosion of poverty, an explosion of of wealth inequality. Um, And the solution to all of those things just happens to be the community colleges in our communities across the country. So while I may be isolated and I may be more rural with the uh, 200,000 citizens that live with me, um, what's happening in Amarillo represents what's happening in communities across the country. Um, One of the things that I, I thought was really important when we acknowledged where we were as a community and we acknowledged where we were as a college, uh, 
that, that we had to, instead of placing blame elsewhere, instead of saying this is the legislator's fault or it's the high school's fault for sending us students that aren't prepared, it's the workforce fault for not really understanding what they need from us, we had to take ownership of who we were and who we wanted to be, not just as a college, but as a community. And Kay McClinney, uh, many of you know her, uh, came on campus and she said something that was a trigger point for all of us. And so I'm gonna paraphrase what she said. She said, every policy, every process, every program is perfectly designed to produce the exact results you're currently getting. And what we were trying to do before we had that real conversation is we were trying to polish what we were already doing so that we could change a half a percent, a percent, a percent and a half and celebrate when our community needed us to have double digit increases in course success and retention and in completion and graduation and that we were perfectly designed to produce the terrible results we were getting. And we weren't going to be able to produce better results unless we were ready to look at how we were working, how we were structured, to redesign ourselves for the success that we wanted, not the unsuccess that we were experiencing. Does that make sense? So for us, that started with really trying to understand who our students were and who our community was and what they needed from us, rather than starting from a place that most of us in higher education have of what I think our students need and who I think our students are. So I use secret shoppers to go through our processes to tell me what did and didn't make sense to them. And then I did focus groups and survey follow-up data and what our students told us fundamentally changed who I am as a person and as a professional and completely helped us reimagine who our community college was in Amarillo. There were two fundamental things that our students told us they needed us to be for their success. Relationships and customer service. Those two fundamental understandings of our students helped us um, embrace a new approach to our work that we call No Excuses, A Culture of Caring. Our No Excuses work at Amarillo College is really based upon uh, Damon Lopez, who created the No Excuses University movement in an elementary school in Los Pen in San Diego. So I am here to tell you that our reformation and the data that supports its importance started with an elementary school principal. And here is what his philosophy is. It's not buying new curriculum. It's not uh, purchasing a whole new wave of professional development. It is simply saying that we are responsible for our students' success and or failure. That our communities can no longer afford our communities can no longer afford for us to embrace failure as an option. That we, as the leaders, as the faculty, as the staff, whatever role we play, we have to take responsibility for our students' success. And that we can't have failure 
related to that success. So if a student fails with this no excuses philosophy, it means as a college, we didn't have the right person, policy, or process in place to ensure their success. And the reason why we have to take ownership of our students' successes and failures, rather than the centuries-old philosophy of just giving students the opportunity to succeed or fail, is because economically, our communities will not survive if we cannot fix what's broken in higher education. Edward Glazer is an economist who wrote a book called Triumph of the City. And in that book, he says he can predict which cities are gonna succeed or fail based on one single data point. Any idea what that data point is? Say again? Geography, no, it's not geography. Not leadership, although two, those are two really important things. Say again? Not leadership. It's one number. Not even poverty. All related. But what he says, he can predict which cities are going to succeed or fail on one data point, and that's education attainment. And he can look at your education attainment rates in your communities, and he can tell you if poverty is what's holding you back, he can tell you about um, what's happening economically in your region, and you can look at those numbers and determine the impact that your leadership is and is not having in your community. When we started this uh, reformation, our education attainment rates in my community uh, were in the teens. And Shockingly, our community's education attainment rates were almost directly aligned with our completion rates. And according to this award-winning economist, he could tell us in Amarillo that the only sector growth we were going to have over the next decade with that education attainment rate was low-skill manual labor. And those jobs are important. I'm not impugning the importance of those jobs. But if that is the only place you're going to have economic growth, then your community is dooming itself to drown in poverty and underemployment that most of our students are struggling with, with right now. So with that economic reality of understanding um, that we as community colleges were really the epicenter of saving our communities. And I say that intently. I don't include universities in that conversation. They're important, but they are not what's going to save our communities from ourselves. It is going to be because community colleges are courageous enough, nimble enough, and honest enough to understand what's happening in your community and re Imagine who you can be in serving it. So for us, that reimagination started with an understanding of what was happening to our, our community economically, talking with our students to understand who they were and what they needed, and fundamentally building ourselves to those two things. And one of the things that we kept hearing over and over and over is that our students needed something different from us than we've ever provided for them before. And that's what led us to understand who our typical student was and how courageous she is and how smart and ambitious she is and how our futures are aligned with her success or failure. 
and why I'm proud to stand in front of you and introduce her to you. Our student that the future of our community is built around is called Maria in Amarillo. She is brilliant, but she is not set up to find success in the systems that we have built over the last decades and century. And instead of us spending our time and investing our money and trying to get her to change to who we are, we have to spend our time to understand who she is and how we can reimagine ourselves for her and her success. So these are the typical student in Amarillo College. And she's not that different from your community college student either. She's first gen, 70% of my students are first generation college students. So you understand, I'm sure, the challenges that she brings with her and understanding vernacular that makes no sense like bursars and registrars and the differences between courses and sections and the difference between a counselor and an advisor. We have saddled her with language and structures that don't make sense to her, and then we judge her because she can't understand and navigate them. And then we say when she's not successful as a first-gen college student, that she's just not serious enough, not mature enough, doesn't care enough, and isn't prepared. And I am here to challenge you that your community and your college cannot afford to embrace those tropes any longer. You gotta get rid of them, and you get rid of them by actually building a relationship with the student you have, not the student you used to have or the student you wished you had. So this student we have, Maria, is first generation. She is part-time. 54% um, of our students are part-time. Um, when we started our reformation, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, 82% uh, of our students were part-time. By restructuring ourselves, we've allowed more Marias to go full-time, uh, which is really important. Uh, she's Latina, female. She has significant financial barriers, and 52% of our students want to transfer to university to get a bachelor's degree that leads to a living wage. But that means 48% of our students, 48% of our Marias, are just needing a certificate or degree that immediately leads to life-saving and life-changing employment. The two other figures about Maria that fundamentally stopped us in our track, she is working, on average, two part-time jobs. That's the typical average student in Amarillo College. She's working two part-time jobs and raising 1.2 kids. And her average age is 27 years old. Those were important understandings for us. And I promise you, when you go back and understand who your Maria is, she's not that different from mine. Yet, so much of our structures are built around ensuring that the typical recent high school 18-year-old graduate can immediately enroll in our courses and find success. I'm not telling you to ignore those students, but that may be 20 to 25% of your enrollment, but they get 100% of your attention and your investment. 
And if we're going to be the economic saviors for our community, it means we have to understand who our community is and we have to readdress ourselves to reflect our community. So foundational to the Reformation that I want to share with you was understanding Maria and what she needed from us. And so there are several things that we've done uh, to empower Maria uh, and her success. The first was to really understand who she is and commit to doing something that she needs that we are loath to talk about in higher education. And so our first step in the Reformation was a commitment to loving Maria to success. This work is personal. There are important structures and interventions and support mechanisms, and, I, and they're all really important. But if they are not wrapped in relational love, they will never do the work you need them to do. Because Maria is first generation, typically living in generational poverty, she needs your love as much as she needs your structures and your courses. Because without the love, she's never gonna finish your degree. So we're committed to loving the student we have, not loving the student we used to have or the student we wished we had, but really intentionally, systemically, thoughtfully, and purposefully loving the student we have. And she's remarkable. <clears throat> one of the students that we uh, talk about a lot, um, one of our Marias uh, was ranked in the top 10 in her class, her high school graduating class. And graduated high school and took a job at a meatpacking plant alongside her mother and, and father who were Vietnam immigrants and um, passed all the tests that said she was college ready and did all the homework in her STEM college algebra class because she wanted to be a STEM major and got hundreds on all of her homework. And then got to the first test, which is taken in a testing center outside of class, and she got a 33. the old Amarillo College would have looked at that 33 and judged it without understanding it. And we would have judged it in the same ways that you're probably thinking right now. Someone else did her homework. She doesn't know how to study. She has test anxiety. Um, she's not mature enough for college. She doesn't have her priorities straight because she's probably working. All of the excuses that Amarillo College was committed to no longer honoring meant that we had to, before we assigned meaning to the, to the grade, we had to understand it. And one of the things that we do at the college, especially for our, our first time students, is they never get their first grade and their first semester um, online. Any idea why? There's no human contact. She, Maria, Linda, would have looked at that grade and told and thought to herself exactly what she told the tutor that gave it to her in person. Top 10 in her high school graduating class, tested college ready. And her response to that 33 was, with tears, I knew I wasn't smart enough to be here. But the tutor could look at her test and go, you got almost every question right that you answered. You just didn't answer, you didn't finish the test. So she asked her to work 
the next question. And that's when the tutor understood what no excuses really meant. She worked the question and she got it right, but she did it all longhand and the test was designed to be taken with a calculator. So the tutor's like, Linda, she pulls up the syllabus on Blackboard and said, look right here, it says you have to have, in the course requirements, you have to have this textbook and you have to have TI-84. What is TI-84? A Texas Instruments calculator. Why would Linda ever know that? It costs $79 on Walmart on sale, by the way. Um, so we got her a calculator. Uh, she got a B in the class. She graduated Amarillo College in highest honors from our honors program. And she was one bad grade away from thinking that it was her fault, that she wasn't smart enough, and that she was going to have to work in a meatpacking plant for the rest of her life. This student is now a 4.0 a president's list student at the university in our community. And if we had not had a no excuses philosophy of understanding who our students are and what they need from us, rather than what's easiest for us and what systems we've been using for the last three or four or five decades, uh, we would have lost Linda and her four siblings that come after her. So the key for me in understanding Maria and Linda is that we have to figure out how we can systemically and intentionally love her to success. This is part one of a two-part episode. Tune in next week for part two with discussion of a three-point plan for making Maria successful. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.